Well, again, I want to say good morning to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. I want to invite you now to grab your Bibles, open them to, or if you have an electronic device, turn it on to the book of Haggai, as we are going to finish uh, this small study over these past couple of weeks in this book. Let me ask you, how many of you here like to hear good news? Sure beats the alternative, right? You know, especially as parents, we like to hear good news about our kids. uh, Because sometimes teachers send notes home that say, I would like to talk with you. And we've seen, as a family, seen one of those notes, and it's been, oh no, what did they do now? And I guess the, the teachers can kind of sense the anxiety in parents and like, listen, no. I want to tell you good news that your kid did. I, I got to tell you, when, when you hear that, it kind of changes your whole attitude and outlook on this meeting. You, you went in going, oh, I don't really want to do this. To, hey, tell me more about how my kid didn't mess up. How it's not my fault that, that they're doing what they do. Um, And this is how the book of Haggai is going to end. God has been taking Israel to task for the better part of two chapters here. He has been telling them that they have been living in sin because they were supposed to be building the temple, and for 16 years they hadn't. He's going to talk to them about how they were trusting in their works to save them, and he's going to remind them, listen, you're not going to be saved by your works. And so he's really been drilling down into the sinfulness of Israel's life. But now he's going to close this book here with two particular forms of encouragement for the nation of Israel. And it's meant to propel them into their future so that they can be who God has called them to be. And so we want to ask the question, what does the end of Haggai say to you and I in 2018, and how is it that we are called to live this text out? Well, before we get there, let's go ahead and talk about the one big thing. The one big thing for this morning is simply this, that God has a plan, and it's our job to be obedient to him. Now, this is not just the one big thing for this particular text. This actually is the entire theme or message of the book of Haggai. That it's God who has the plan, it's God who's in control, and you and I as his children, our response is to simply be obedience to him. So let's see how this plays out in the scripture. I'm going to ask if you found Haggai chapter 2 and you can, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Haggai chapter 2 verse 20 it says, And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and the riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. For I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you that you have 
not only recorded your word, but you, you have preserved it these many generations. That as we open our Bible, we know with absolute confidence that we are reading and studying the mind, the heart, and the will of God. So Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. God has a plan, and our job is to be obedient to Him. Literally, the Christian life is as simple and as complicated as that. To know God and to obey Him. And many times we have the desire to do it, but we struggle to do it. And sometimes life gets difficult or sometimes life gets in the way. So how can we press on in those difficult moments when we kind of feel like maybe giving up? Or we kind of feel like, well, maybe God has just passed by me or God doesn't love me. Well, there's two simple truths in this text that will give us the ability to persevere through difficult times. The first one is this, that God is in control. Now, the theological term for this is that God is sovereign. So if you hear a pastor say, God is sovereign, what he's talking about is that God is in complete control. That there's nothing that happens in life that God is not already infinitely aware of, present in, and working through. So whatever place you find yourself in life this morning, know this, God was already there before you arrived there. And that God already has a plan of going through this for his glory and for your good. Now as we see in our text here, we see that the prophet, uh, speaking on behalf of God, specifically is talking to Zerubbabel. Now, the reason is Zerubbabel is the governor of the nation of Israel right now. He is the political leader of this nation. We see it in chapter 1, verse 1. But in speaking to the leader, God is ultimately speaking to the entire nation. So this nation to Zerubbabel is the answer for the nation. And it is simply this. I've got this. What keeps you and I up at night? What causes us the most stress and worry and struggles? The things that are going wrong in life that we can't fix. And the reason it keeps us up is we feel like we have to fix it. So I want to take some worry and stress and strain off of you this morning by simply saying this, you can't fix it. It's not in your job description. It's not in your power to do it. So stop trying to play God and start trusting God. See, to trust God means to understand that He knows what's best. You know, you and I, man, we make decisions based on what we see. But God's will is eternal. It's already been written And that is, he knows not only the beginning, he not only knows the middle, but God already knows how this is going to end. 
And his will is in accordance to the end of things, which is his glory and our good. But so often, we forget that God is in control. You've heard me say from this pulpit many times, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. It's a pretty good joke to him. Yo, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says that the Lord make, that man makes plans, but it's the Lord who directs his steps. See, God is working in every situation and through every situation. Even those ones that are really difficult for us. Even those things that make us angry or frustrate us. God has a plan and a purpose. But so often, we become very arrogant. And we start dictating what we're going to do in life. Yet the scripture says in the New Testament, James uh, chapter 4, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. What you ought then to say is if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. See, it's okay to make plans. We, we could go through the book of Proverbs and, and other scriptures and show that it's good that we have plans and we have a goal that we are aspiring to. But our goals must always align with the will of God. Because only the will of God is going to be accomplished. You know, I had to come to grips with this. That it's okay to have plans, but God doesn't have to bless my plans. God is going to bless and honor and do His will. And so when we come to the point where we say that God is in control, what we're saying, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which is exactly how Jesus taught us to pray there in Matthew chapter 6. So often we think of God being in control as a negative thing. But again, this ought to free an eye up because we don't have to spend sleepless nights trying to figure it all out. Because God's got this worked out. Now you and I may not see how God's going to work this out. We may not see today the answer that God has the to our problem today but he does and no amount of staying up and worrying about it and stressing over it and getting frustrated to the point of giving yourself an ulcer or staying up all night none of that's going to change what's about to happen instead what happens is when you and I focus on the unknown it robs us of the joy of the known and the known is this, that God is a good father who loves us, who is for his children, and who desires the best for us. But when you and I focus on what we don't know, we rob ourselves of the joy of being God's child. I don't know if any parent in here has one of these, but Diane and I have what we affectionately call a worry wart. Like, he takes on everybody's problems as though their own. And he, he can't stand to see somebody upset. He just wants to go over and fix it. How many fixers do we have here? Every guy's hand better go up because that's who we are. All right, our, our wife comes and says, hey, I got a problem. That's okay. We got a solution. 
may not be the right one, but we're going to fix it. And then God's going to go back and fix what we broke worse. But we always try to tell them, don't worry about this. You can't fix this. The greatest gift you can give to somebody is to pray for them. Is to be there with them through the difficult times. Because it's ultimately God who is in control. Now Israel, they were worried because there were nations around them that that didn't want them to rebuild the temple. And they were spreading all sorts of lies about their leadership and all this stuff. And the people were afraid of them. And they were going, oh no, what's going to happen next? You know, we got to do this because we don't want Persia to come back in and go, you know what, we kind of like you as slaves. And we, we don't want to upset this nation because they may come in here and, you know, they may tear down everything that we've done. And so their solution is we're not going to do anything. And God was going, why don't you just trust me? Why don't you just understand that I've got this under control? You don't have to figure this out. See, when you and I say that we have faith in Jesus Christ, what we're saying is, God, I trust you. I trust that you're in control, and what you're going to allow, well, it's ultimately going to be for your glory, and it's ultimately going to be for my good. Which takes us to the second encouragement that we see in this text, and it is this, that God has a plan. And you and I's plans can be changed. You have heard me talk about this on multiple occasions. Probably 90 plus percent of you in this room right now have something in your pocket or your purse that if it was to ring or buzz right now, every plan you had for the day just went out the window. So much for us being in control, right? But God has a plan. And God is working that plan. We, we talk about Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, plans of good and not evil, and to give you peace and to bring about an expected end. And we love that verse, but you've heard me say now probably two weeks in a row, go back one verse. Jeremiah 29, 10 says, When 70 years are completed in Babylon. What was God telling the nation of Israel? You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for your sin. But their suffering did not change God's plan for them. Why? Because God's plan for them the whole time was that they would bring their heart back to God. See, their their sin is they had left God. They had tried to do life on their own. They had worshipped all these other false gods. And God said... You're going to search for me. You're going to find me. When you search for me with all your heart. When you make the pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ the only pursuit, not one, not the top one, the only pursuit of your life, then you will grow closer to God You will understand he is in control, and you will trust his plan. See, the problem is we have changed what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33. Now, what did Jesus say in Matthew 6? He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and all 
and, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But we've kind of changed that to go, well, I need to seek God first on Sunday, and I'm going to figure it out Monday to Saturday. Or I'm going to seek God first as long as something else doesn't come up. I'm going to seek God first as long as it is convenient and it's comfortable for us. It's why Jesus, earlier in that very same passage, in verse 24, he says this, No man can serve two masters. You are either all gods or you're all the devils. This isn't Burger King. You can't have it your way. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You're either all in or you're all out. Now you're probably sitting here going, well, wait a minute. That's all about, you know, Israel, Israel, and Israel. I mean, even speaking of Israel earlier in chapter 2, See, God knew that Israel was going to be worried. And so he reminded them, just like I was with Moses when I brought Israel up out of Egypt, I'm going to be with you, Zerubbabel. I'm going to be with you, Israel. He knew they were prone to forget his many blessings. But again, you're probably going, well, this is all about Israel. And because you are all smart theologians, you know that the church has not replaced Israel. By the way, anybody tells you they have, they're a liar. Run. Okay? Church and Israel, two separate things. But that's another sermon for another Sunday, and i got to go. All right. Look, can I tell you good news? The same God that dealt with Israel deals with you and I. All right, how do I know that? Good question. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. says that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, again, notice that verse doesn't say all things are good. Marital struggles, family struggles, job struggles, cancer, all these things. That, those aren't good. Nobody's going to argue that they are. But what that verse says is that God works all things for good. He works all things. You see, sometimes God has to put us flat on our back before we'll look up. Before we'll take our hands off the wheel, God has to allow us to get into that valley of death. The valley of the shadow of death that David talked about in Psalm 23. Because he's trying to remind us, I'm the one in control. I'm the one that's got plan. Your job is to simply obey me. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And to love one another. We hear that all things work together for good. And we're kind of an impatient society, right? We, we, we like microwaves. We like fast food, not fan food. We like it yesterday, not today. But there's a problem. What does point number one say? God is in control. And this is what I have learned in nearly 39 years of living. That God's time is not my time. And no amount of trying to speed him up will actually speed him up. 
Kind of like, you know, you're going on vacation. All of a sudden, your children, you know the question they ask. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No. No, we're not. Reality is, that's what God's saying to you today. You're not there. See, this life of faith is a lifelong journey. Philippians 1 and verse 6 says, Being top of this very thing that he that has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. Which means this, you need to be patient because you're a work in progress. Now we need to be making progress, and that is God's plan for us. How do we know that? Because of Romans 8 29. It says, For those that he called, he also justified. And those that he justified, he is predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You want to know what God's plan is? Here it is. To love him, to have a relationship with him. And once you have that, for you to look and act like him. That's what Christ-likeness is. It's what godliness is. And God has predestined, he has predetermined that those that he has saved will look like him. But not only that, See, that, that's, the, that's kind of the frustrating part, okay? Because they're like, well, wait a minute. If I'm going to look like Christ, that means I'm going to suffer because God's got to get rid of the sin in my life so that the Savior shines bright. But the verses doesn't go back there. It says, those that he called, he justified. Those justified, he also possessed to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those that he has called... To them he is also glorified. In other words, God knows how your story is going to end. And can I tell you the beauty of God's plan? That if you have genuinely accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you are a child, if you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, then nothing in this life can take you away from the end that God has already called you to, which is the eternal presence with him. Y'all must have missed that because that was a great place to get happy. All right, let me give it to you again. You get diagnosed every day. And you go through 18 months of treatment. And your body goes down and down and down. You don't have any physical strength to get up. And then there are six people carrying you out because your life has ended. And not even death can separate us from God. There we go. This is the beauty of it, folks. You and I are going to have a hard life. Why? Because we're always going to war against what we want to do versus what God wants to do. And here's the real kicker. Even when we do what God wants us to do, He still says we're going to have problems. But those problems will not change the eternal destiny that Jesus died to buy for us. How do I know that? John chapter 14 and verse 3. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Do not so. Go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And where I am, there you may be also. You know, we sing that song, Our God, 
this morning in the worship set. You probably already recognize it, but just in case you didn't, this is where it comes from out of Scripture. It comes out of Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 31. What shall we then say to these things that God be for us? Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. God's plan is that we must trust Him. That we come in faith to Him. See, there's only one road that leads to eternal life. That's through faith in Jesus Christ. There are literally millions of other roads that are paved with good intentions, but their ultimate end is the lake of God. There's one way. And one way only. And that is genuine faith in Christ. And we know that this is God's desire because 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all God verse 16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. God's plan is that you would come to Him in genuine faith and that you would be saved. But you've got to come to the end of yourself. You've got to come to the place where you no longer try to figure it out. Where you don't try to control everything. But that rather you lovingly trust Him in all things. So how do we do that? Three ways. Number one, have faith in God. If you've never placed your complete trust in Jesus Christ, these verses that we have read, sad to say, don't apply to you yet. Because the reality is, we're not all God's children. Oh, we were all created by Him. We are created in His image. But His children, Scripture tells us, are those that have come in faith and God loves you so much that He didn't wait on you to get your life together. He came when we were at our worst. God loves us so much. He desires our salvation so much. He doesn't put a stipulation of, well, you got to go to church. you got to read the Bible. you got to pray. you got to do this. you got to do that. But by grace, we get saved faith. This is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God, not of works, but the man should vote. Salvation is a plan of God accomplished by God. 
can't be, well, Jesus, I'm going to trust you to save me, but I'm going to try to fix my life and do what I want. You got to write, God, a blank check. And allow him to do what it is he created you to do. The second thing that we have to do once we have placed our faith in God is this. We must be faithful to God. See, God blessed Zerubbabel for no other reason than Zerubbabel was obedient to God. There's nothing special about Zerubbabel. See, God isn't looking for the most qualified. He's not looking for the most handsome He's not looking for the smartest or the most articulate. He is looking for a heart that is completely surrendered to him. That's good news for me. Good news for you. You see, church, this morning I I would submit to us that we need to once and for all reject what has become the definition of success that has permeated the church culture of many churches. Many churches believe that they are successful based on the three Bs. Buildings, bodies, and budget. If we got a big building that's full of bodies and we're meeting budget, we must be successful. Yet I believe Scripture calls us to unequivocally deny that definition. To refute it. Because success is not measured by what we do. Success is measured by what God did. Our success will be determined not on how many sermons we preached, not how many people we led to Christ, not how many buildings we built or any other thing that we do. Our success in God's eyes will be determined by this. Were you faithful to him? That's it. And not just faithful in the good times, but faithful in the difficult times. You see, it's entirely possible to be successful in the world's eyes and be a failure in God's eyes. But if we are faithful to God, Regardless of what the world says, God will say that we've been successful. Maybe you're hanging on by the thinnest of threads this morning. one thing after another. Kind of like when you were at the beach, you got knocked down by a wave, and you got tried to get back up. Another one, another one, another one, another one, and another one. You're trying to love God. You're trying to obey Him. But it just seems like everything's coming against you. Hear this message. Hold on. You stay faithful. Because God has brought you too far to abandon you now. Don't give up. Maybe your circumstances are to bring you to the end of you. Because when you come to the end of your rope, you know who's been patiently waiting there all along? Jesus Christ. Saying, I've got this worked out for you. You didn't have to go through all that. But I'm here. 
be faithful to Him. Obey Him. And don't wait for God to give you every piece of the puzzle. Because that's not how God works. God will give you one piece of the puzzle at a time. Why should He give you all 500 when you won't be faithful in the first one? Because even if God gave you the whole puzzle piece put together nice and neat and glued and framed, you still wouldn't believe Him. You still wouldn't follow Him. You have to be faithful in what God is doing. And as we step out in faith and we obey God, He reveals another piece. As we're faithful there, He reveals another, and another, and another, and another. Until we get to the very end and He reveals that masterpiece. But a masterpiece is made one piece at a time. Be faithful to what God's called you to. Obey Him in that and he will trust us with And as we are faithful, it will lead us to number three. Be a witness for God. See, sometimes we go through difficult times because of our sin. God is punishing us because of our sin, trying to get the sin out of us so that he can purify us for the express purpose of using us. See, here's the crazy truth. The Almighty Holy God has chosen to use broken vessels such as you and I to share the gospel with the world. God could have come up with any other plan to share the gospel with the world. And the plan he came up with was you. And it was me. And it was all those who have ever trusted him. You see, maybe what you're going through this morning isn't just for you. Maybe it's for somebody else. God will put them in your path of life. And they're going to talk about how they're at the end of their rope and they're pulling their hair out and they can't sleep and they can't eat and they're just so worried and all of this things, all these things are happening and all of a sudden you just speak right into their life going, you know what, I know where you are at. Because I was there just a few months ago or a year or whatever it is, I was there. But let me tell you how God worked this out. Let me tell you what my God did in this situation. God's giving you a testimony. It's a testimony to be shared. Look at what it says there in verse 23. It says, and I will make thee as a signet. He's talking about a signet ring. God was saying, Zerubbabel, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to... Strengthen my nation, Israel. Because Zerubbabel, I'm also going to use you to help change the world. Why? Because Zerubbabel is in the lineage of David. And the Messiah comes from the Goliath. See, God said, Zerubbabel, before you were even born, I knew you, I formed you, and I had a plan. Tell others about him. Jesus didn't tell the church to do anything else except one thing. Go make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and keep them for all things out of them. That's all we have to do. To be a faithful witness to God's goodness. And as we do that, God will be glorified. It will be for our good. It will be for their good. My question to you this morning is very simply this. Are you being faithful to God? Is He first in your heart, in your mind, in your life? Are you seeking to point others to Him? In whatever situation you're in, that's how you can be faithful to God together. Let others see Jesus in you. Let your life be a proclamation of God. Question is, do we trust and really believe that God has a place? We can say, yes, 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 all we want. But here's how we're going to prove it. We're going to be obedient to what God has said. And we're going to start but now by responding to what you said to us. Would you stand with me if we're going to pray together? Father, in, in the quietness of this moment, at, at the end of this worship service, God, we just, we come to you crying out by that precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, for that, that sinner who is the furthest from you, God, I pray today you would draw them near, that they may surrender to you. Lord God, to my brothers and my sisters in this room, you are calling us to be faithful, to do what you called us to do and equipped us to do. That means that, God, we got to be a witness for you. Not just in this room, not just in our family. Certainly it starts here. 
But God, as we go out and we go to our restaurants this afternoon, as we go to work tomorrow, or we go to the ball field this week, or wherever you send us, Father, you're sending us there with a purpose that we may just be a witness for you. And that we can tell somebody of this amazing grace that saved a wretch like us. Father, our obedience tomorrow begins in the decisions we make right now. We confess the sin that is trapping us, causing us to stumble. Lord God, if there's any sin that's in our life, God, I pray that even now we're confessing it to you and we're crying out for your help. Because God, we don't have to be the most gifted or talented. God, we do have to be the right in order for you to use us. As long as there's sin in our life, whether it's known or unknown, God, we can't be used by you. So I pray, God, that this morning we will confess that we will seek your help to overcome. That we can be a testimony through us. Let's be faithful by responding to God. Let's be faithful.